0: Who's going to watch the Lions game today? How many have been waiting for this and building for this, anticipating this for weeks now? Years? (laughs) Decades? Anticipation has been building. You can feel the excitement. Switching entertainment venues, how many of you like to see the trailers for upcoming movies? Uh, Anybody ever go to the theater early just to make sure you're not going to miss the previews? Uh, Before the show, anybody ever go to a movie and enjoy the previews more than you enjoyed the actual feature film (laughs) that you went to see? Uh, The the trailers are fantastic. Trailers are short versions of the much larger, soon-to-be-released feature, and they often have the funniest moments, the best special effects, um, the best fight scenes of the whole movie, all designed to whet your appetite so that you want to see the whole film. And if a trailer has done its job, you can tell. You can look around the theater and you see people lean to the person they've come with and say, I'm going to see that. Or conversely, uh, Angie and I have have seen, you know, trailers for like horror films and we turn and we just say, nope. (laughs) Never going to see that. Not even on Netflix. We're never going to see that. Now, this is a good metaphor for the Christian life. When people see our life, they should look at us and say, I want to see more. I want to know the bigger picture. I want to know where that person comes from. We're in a series called Surprise the World. It's based on a book by the same title, by Michael Frost. And in that book, author Michael Frost says this. He says, even though not every believer is a gifted evangelist, that's true. Evangelism is a spiritual gift. Some people have it, some people don't. Not everyone has that gift. But still, we need to take seriously our calling to alert others to God's reign and rule. No matter what you're gifting, we all need to take seriously our calling to alert others to God's reign and rule. Think of God's reign and rule, God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the coming new creation as the feature film, a glorious blockbuster movie, and our lives are trailers... Designed to give people a preview of things that are to come, to whet their appetite for a whole other world. Leslie Newbegin, the British theologian, says this. He says, The church exists for the sake of those who are not members, as sign, instrument, and foretaste of God's redeeming grace for the whole life of society. Sign, instrument, and foretaste of God's redeeming grace. These are great words. What do they mean? A sign is something that points to something else, and our lives are to point people toward this alternate reality called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, which is accessible to us right now, in part, and one day will be accessible to us in fullness. Our lives are to point to that like a sign. We're to be a foretaste. Our lives are to be a foretaste of this kingdom of God. Like a movie trailer designed to give people a preview of the future in the present. And we can demonstrate right here and now what it looks like for men and women to live under the reign and rule of God. We can be a foretaste our lives. And then an instrument, not not just a sign and a foretaste, but our lives can be an instrument, a tool in God's hands as God shapes this world as he wishes, as God brings his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. A sign, a foretaste, and an instrument. So what is God's reign like? And how can our lives be a sign or a foretaste? If our life is meant to alert people to the reign and rule of God, what exactly are we pointing them to? Well, in this book that a lot of us have been studying, Surprise the World, the author Michael Frost lists four essential elements of God's reign And he gives credit here to N.T. Wright. Four essential elements. This is from from Michael Frost and N.T. Wright. Four essential elements of this kingdom of God that we can demonstrate right now in the here and now. And the first one they mention is reconciliation. Reconciliation. Reconciliation between God and humankind is at the heart of Christ's work. And the Apostle Paul explains this uh, in his letter to the church at Corinth. He says this to the Corinthian church. All this is from God. Since reconciliation is so central, it makes sense that it should be a core expression of God's reign and rule. Under God's reign and rule, we are one with God, reconciled with God, and we are one with each other, reconciled with each other. And Paul um, parses out the implications of this in his letter to to the Galatians. This is a verse a lot of you know. So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ... All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We are both to announce reconciliation, champion it, describe it, explain it, advocate for it, and we are to demonstrate it. We reconcile to others ourselves, broker reconciliation among others. Now you might do this in your workplace when you're mediating between warring colleagues or you might be reconciled yourself with a friend or a family member with whom you've become estranged. You might share the good news with someone that God reconciles us to himself through Christ. Reconciliation is the first mark of the kingdom that we can demonstrate to people right now. The second one they mention is justice, justice. Now the Hebrew word for justice, mishpat, occurs in various forms 200 times in the Old Testament. And it means more than just punishment for wrongdoing. That's part of it, justice is punishment for wrongdoing. But it also means giving people their rights. Mishpat is giving people what they're due, whether it's punishment or protection Or care. Now, this word justice is a wonderful word. It's a Bible word, but it hits people sometimes differently, especially if you're older. Um, You may even bristle when you hear the word justice, or especially if you hear the word social justice. If you're old enough to remember the 1970s, you remember there was a divide in the church, a a big debate in the church in that decade about how we should best bear witness to Jesus. Uh, One group said we should bear witness best through words, verbally. You tell people about Jesus. You teach people the scriptures. The other group said the best way to demonstrate witness to Jesus is through our deeds and through social justice programs. So what's the best way to bear witness for Jesus? How should we do it? Is it word or deed? It's both. It is so obvious um younger people wonder, I can't believe people thought about that in the 1970s. Was it the heavy drug use? What was going on? Why did people get confused about that? I, I hope there wasn't a, a big, uh, a lot of energy around that. Yes, there was a whole international council called about this. And I don't know why we got this wrong. But there was a sense, and in some ways a very fair, um, in some cases, that some social justice churches have had concluded that the verbal witness part was just too difficult. And so we will focus on social justice instead. We we will give people justice instead of Jesus. Justice versus Jesus. And that's why some Christians to this day still bristle when they they hear the word social justice. But true biblical justice is Jesus-centered. God says through the prophet Isaiah that this Messiah, this coming Messiah, will reign over David's kingdom, upholding it with justice and righteousness. Jesus was all about justice. Jesus said himself in Luke chapter 4, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Justice is a sure demonstration of the kingdom of Jesus. In the kingdom of heaven, no one is oppressed, No one is taken advantage of. No one is bullied or threatened. And there are all kinds of ways to demonstrate this aspect of God's kingdom uh, right now. Working to eliminate sex trafficking. Promoting fair trade products. Running for clean water. Standing up for the rights of someone else. Fighting homelessness. Fostering disadvantaged children. These are all things I've seen many of you do. And when you do these things, you are being a foretaste of the kingdom of God. The third aspect, the third element of the kingdom of God mentioned in this book is surprising, beauty. Michael Frost says beauty is one of the elements of the kingdom of God. You say, wait a minute, I I thought God didn't care about physical appearance. I hoped God didn't care about physical appearance. But if you think about it, when do you feel often closest to God... But when you're out on a mountaintop, when you're out on an ocean, when you're walking in a beautiful forest, and doesn't a magnificent cathedral or a stunning piece of music leverage you toward the creator of all beauty? And is, is it that, that, that awe-inspiring experience of the Grand Canyon, could that really be a foretaste of what awaits us someday? So if beauty is an expression of God's reign, Michael Frost says we need to think about ways to invite our friends to experience it. Take your friends hiking, climb mountains, walk along beaches, and then say along with the psalmist in Psalm chapter eight, "O oh God, when I consider the work of your hands, what is humanity that you are mindful of them? Michael Frost says, but much more than natural beauty... I think we should commit ourselves to creating beautiful music, art, craft, and food, and inviting others to join us. Try to find ways to alert others to the universal reign of God through Christ by an observation of his creation, by an observation of his creation, and by personally fashioning expressions of beauty. And the last element they mentioned, the fourth one, uh, that's an aspect of the kingdom of God that we can demonstrate here and now, is wholeness. Wholeness. When John the Baptist from prison hears all the things Jesus is doing, he sends a messenger to Jesus to say, Are you the one we were expecting? Or should we wait for someone else? Are you the one that was to come? Or should we expect someone else? And Jesus responds this way. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. The primary way that Jesus revealed his kingdom in his earthly time and place was through parables and miracles. Through parables and miracles. Miracles are trailers or foretastes of the world that is to come. In God's reign, there will be no sickness or disease. No mental illness, no depression, no birth defects, no cancer. Jürgen Moltmann, a, a German theologian, says, Jesus' miracles are not a suspension of the natural order. They're a restoration of the natural order. It's not that miracles are unreal. It's like the real world, the kingdom of God, is breaking through in those moments. And we believe in miracles today. God is a great healer. And God can work through uh, human resources as well. The first hospitals were all started by Christians because wholeness is a sign of God's kingdom. Hospitals took names like Holy Cross and Trinity or St. Joseph or Mercy because Christian health care workers understood that God's reign includes physical health as well as spiritual health. God is a God of healing. I spent three days in the hospital this last week and I've got such a huge and growing respect for healthcare workers. An allergic reaction to one of my chemotherapy medicines put me in the hospital initially last Friday. And then some blood tests revealed abnormal kidney function, which brought me back to the hospital later uh, in the week. And I've been trying to put in practice the things we've been talking about in this series. I want to live as a scent one. That's what I've been talking about, how to live as a scent Perhaps God has sent me here to this hospital, to this doctor's office, not only for my own well-being, although I think he has, but perhaps God has also sent me here to demonstrate God's kingdom in some way, to encourage a nurse, to communicate joy in suffering, to somehow be a sign, a foretaste, and an instrument of God's kingdom. One day in the hospital, when I was there, they brought two therapy dogs around the floor, a dog named Lawrence, and a puppy named Sparkle. And I was thinking, why do dogs make us feel better? Because when being greeted by someone who is so happy to see you, that's a foretaste of things that are to come. Right? They don't send cats around hospitals. (laughs) Cats are a sign of the kingdom of this world. God's kingdom, the kingdom that you and I represent, the kingdom that is our home, the kingdom that shapes us now, is a kingdom of reconciliation. We are one with God and one with each other. It's a kingdom of justice. Wrongs are set right, no one is taken advantage of, and it's a kingdom of beauty and wholeness and delight. And sometimes we see signs of this kingdom which has not yet come in fullness. Sometimes we see these signs of this kingdom that has not come in fullness. And sometimes we get to be signs of this kingdom that has not come in fullness. Sometimes we get to be a foretaste of this kingdom. We get to be an instrument of this kingdom. My friend Aggie attends Ward Church. She is a spirited senior citizen lady who's who's had a lot of health and financial problems herself. But she models this idea of living as a sent person better than uh, just about anybody I know. She volunteers each Monday here at our Forgotten Harvest food distribution program. But sometimes she misses her volunteer post uh, because God has other plans for her. It's not unusual to get a note about Aggie's adventures. She wrote me this week uh, about her Monday adventure at the gas station. And I'm sharing this note with her permission. She went to the store at the gas station to put $20 to get gas. And this is her note. When she says, when I came out, uh, there was a man with his hood up. His car was dead. His wife was waiting in the car. And I said, how you doing? Do you need help? This is, this is a very a small, small senior lady. He had to filter off the engine and such. And he said, I just rebuilt this engine two days ago. And he showed me all of his work. And I said, alternator is my guess. You want me to try to jump it so you can get home? He said, do you have cables? I said, of course I do. So I got the cables and turned the car, if you could picture Aggie, if you know Aggie, this is, turned the car to face his battery, and I said, let's pray. And he said, okay. So I prayed over the situation, and the car started. And I said, I will follow you home. And he said, thank you, I just live very nearby. So we only got to the other end of the parking lot, and the car died again. So this couple, named here, pushed it back to a parking spot, and said they would call someone for help. And I said, nope, let's go. I'm going to take you home. And he said, thanks. So he did not stop talking all the way home. That's multiple L's. All the way home, covered and covered every part of his life. He talked about his challenges they had. And then he said, you know when you prayed earlier? And I said, yes. He said, I was raised Jehovah's Witness, and now my mom goes to a church where you don't have to apparently be religious. You just love Jesus. And I said, I go to Ward Church on Six Mile and Haggerty, And he said, that might be it. I said, I don't do religions either. They're, they're man-made. I just love the Lord, and I am a saved-by-grace Christian. So we got to his house, and all the vans he had told me about, and he said, now you know where I live. You should stop by sometime. And we prayed for his life, his wife, his children, and rebuked the devil from his life at this time. So, that's 27 O's. So, I did not get to my volunteer post at Forgotten Harvest today, which I love, but God had another plan. Yeah, not that great? What a lame excuse. <laughs> now, what a, what a fantastic reason. See, see, Aggie doesn't wait till she gets to church to represent Jesus. She believes that wherever she goes, God has a plan. She lives with a sense of being sent. So every day becomes an adventure. God, where will you send me today? Who will you direct me to pray for today? Whose car will you ask me to jump with my cables today? And I want to live like that. I want my life to be a sign that points to God's kingdom. I want my life to be a foretaste of what this kingdom will be like. I want my life to be an instrument that God can and will use to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So let us live as sent ones. This sending action of God, deeply rooted in the Bible, is deeply trinitarian. The Father sends the Son. The Father and Son send the Spirit. And now the Father, Son, and Spirit send you. Let's pray. God in heaven, God who is near, help us to live as kingdom people, a sign, foretaste, and instrument of the redeeming grace of our good God. And may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This we pray through Christ our Lord. And everybody agreed with this prayer and said together, Amen.